Hello, Effortless English members. This is the vocabulary discussion for the article titled Thriving on Chaos. Let's get started. Our first word is revert. It's a verb, to revert. To revert means to go back to. Uh, for example, in this sentence we have, many teachers revert to textbooks. Revert sometimes has a negative idea. In this case, it does. It means go back to something that you did in the past. And it has this idea that you're not growing, you're not changing, you're not improving. Instead, you're trying to go backwards. So you are reverting. All right, uh, the title, we have the word thrive, to thrive, it's a verb. To thrive means to, well, it means to grow, to live. And it's a very positive word. It has the idea of live successfully, grow very quickly and very easily. So this idea, to thrive means to grow and survive uh, very successfully. All right, we have the phrase to dig in. To dig in. To dig in means to, um, basically means to resist. It comes from a uh, army kind of metaphor. If you dig a hole, you dig a hole because you're going to resist an attack. The enemy is coming to attack you. You dig a hole and then you, you fight. You're going to defend your position. Uh, but it has the idea that you are not moving forward. Instead, you're staying in one place. You're not moving forward. You're not moving backwards. You're digging in. So it has this idea of resisting, fighting against change. That's the general meaning. So to dig in means to fight against change, to resist change, to go against change. All right. We have the, the word bitter in this uh, little article. It's near the bottom of that first page that many people dig in and become very conservative. And some people even become bitter. They become very bitter about change. In this case, bitter is referring to an emotion. We're talking about an emotion. Bitter can also be a taste. Coffee is bitter. Aspirin is bitter. But in this case, bitter means very, very angry. And it usually means angry for a long period of time over a long, long time. If you're angry for many, many months, many, many years, then you can be described as a bitter person. Right? And you also see the phrase in the next sentence, other people try to keep up with change, but they can't. To keep up means to stay equal with, not fall behind. You have to imagine a race when you think of keep up. People are racing. If, if you fall behind, you are not keeping up. If you keep up, you stay equal with the other people in the race. And I think we've had that word before as well. All right. At, on the next page, uh, second page, we see the phrase, a recipe for failure. So doing the same thing all the time is a recipe for failure. That's a little idiom, a little phrase we use in uh, American English, maybe British English. Um, and it means it's a plan that will lead to failure. It's an action or a plan that will cause failure. So we will say, wow, trying that or doing that is a recipe for failure. Of course, recipe comes from cooking, right? It's your cooking plan. So a recipe for failure means a plan that will cause failure. All right. And in the same page, the next paragraph, you see the word enhance. It's a verb. How do we use change to enhance our lives? 
To enhance means basically means to improve, to make better. All right, in the next paragraph, it may seem antithetical, but one of the key ways to thrive is to have a set of unchanging principles. Antithetical means opposite or paradoxical. It means it looks like it's op opposite. It seems to be opposite. So antithetical means opposite or against each other. So it may seem like it's opposite. You need unchanging principles, very uh, solid principles, to help you when everything is changing, right? This idea of something you need something that doesn't change to help you when everything else is changing. That might seem like it's an, those are opposite ideas, but they're not really. Okay, but anyway, antithetical means opposite. Principles, of course, means uh, not really rules, but guidelines, uh, values, basic ideas about how to live or what to do, but not so strict. A rule is very strict, and it's inflexible. Inflexible means doesn't change easily or does not bend easily. So rules are inflexible. They're hard to adapt, hard to change, but... Uh, Principles are a lot more flexible. You can, they give you a lot more room for action. All right. Uh, we also see the word adaptable, or to adapt is the verb. Uh, to adapt means to change with a situation, to survive and thrive in a new situation. So if, if your environment changes, if, a, if the situation changes, then you must also change. You must also adapt. You must adapt to, adapt to the situation. It means change for the situation. Adapt to the situation. All right, we see the word commitment. You need a commitment to something that is deep and meaningful. Commitment means it's a strong decision to do something. It also has the idea of loyalty, that you will stick with it, you will stay with it, you will not change your decision. So you need a commitment to something that is very deep and meaningful. All right. Uh, in the next paragraph, we see the word tumultuous. What we need to thrive in this tumultuous age are deep principles and the flexibility to change the way we follow them. Okay, tumultuous age. We've had tumultuous before. Tumultuous means changing very quickly. It also is uh, similar to chaotic. Chaotic, so changing very, very, very fast and changing in a way that's hard to predict. It's hard to know how things will change. Tumultuous, a very rough river. We might describe it as tumultuous. All right, very nice. Our next word is theoretical, and the next word that goes with it is concrete. So theoretical and concrete. Theoretical means uh, it's about ideas, concerned with ideas, concerned with theories. So we're talking about not real life things. Theoretical means just something you're thinking about. So it's easy to get lost in a theoretical world of ideas. I mean, sometimes if we think too much, we get lost in this world in our head and we forget about the real world. And concrete means the real world. It's an adjective. If you describe something as concrete, it's real. That means you can touch it, you can see it, you can smell it, you can taste it, right? It's a real object. It's a real thing that's concrete. 
But theoretical is the opposite. Theoretical, it's in your head. You cannot touch it. You cannot taste it. You cannot hear it or smell it or whatever. And abstract uh, is very similar to theoretical. Abstract, it's the same thing. It means with ideas, not concrete. You can't touch something that's abstract. You can't hold it in your hand. But if something is concrete, it's real. You can touch it. You can hold it. Okay. Moving on, we see the word grounded. Grounded in the next paragraph. Your thinking, if you act first, your thinking is grounded in the real world. Grounded in means connected to. To be connected to something. Um, If your thinking is grounded in the real world, it means your ideas are connected to the real world. You're not only in your head. You also have, your ideas have some connection to real life, real ideas, real things, rather. All right, and then the next sentence we say, uh, when you act first, it's harder to become caught up in speculation. Caught up in is kind of an idiom. Uh, To be caught up in something means to be obsessed about it. It means you think too much about it. Say, he is really caught up in religion. It means he thinks too much about religion. He's too focused on religion. Or he's really caught up in sports, caught up in football. It means he's really focused on football a lot. Really, really obsessed with or focused on or concentrated on football, caught up in. And speculation, in this case, caught up in speculation. Speculation means guessing or a guess or theory or ideas. It's something you don't really know. You're just guessing. Okay, so if you're caught up in speculation, it means you're too focused on guessing and thinking, but you really don't know. All right. We see the word tremendous in the next sentence. Tremendous just means a lot or very big. Tremendous. A tremendous advantage means a big, big advantage. All right. Next paragraph, at the end of that paragraph, you see the phrase so-called. In fact, so-called failures are often more valuable than successes. So-called, that's kind of a little idiom, uh, I think. <laughs> I don't know what else to call it. It's kind of a way uh, we show that we, are, we don't agree with something. If you say so-called, you're showing that, uh, or you're saying that people use this word, but you really don't think it's appropriate. You don't think it's a correct word. So, so if I say, oh, it's a so-called failure, it means everybody else says this is a failure. Everyone else describes this as a failure. But actually, I don't think it's a failure. I don't agree. So that little phrase, so-called, means named, so named. It means it suggests that you don't agree with the name. You think the name is incorrect or the word is incorrect. Okay, uh, moving on to the third and final page. Reinforces. To reinforce means to strengthen, make something stronger. All right, so success often just reinforces your old ideas. If you succeed by doing the same thing, well, that success makes your ideas stronger. You think, aha, this is the correct idea. It must be because I was successful. And so your ideas get stronger and stronger and stronger. Okay, to discard in the next paragraph, we must discard labels such as failure and success. 
discard means to throw away or to get rid of. You can think of uh, throwing something in a trash can. Okay? You discard it. You throw it away. You get rid of it. You don't want it anymore. To discard. It's a verb. And then at last paragraph, we have the word rigid. The time for rigid thinking was 100 years ago. Rigid means not soft, not flexible, difficult to bend, or difficult to change. So all of these ideas. So steel, right, hard metal, is rigid. It doesn't bend. It doesn't change easily, right? It's very, very difficult to change it or bend it. That's, we call that rigid. All right. Next sentence, we see the word churning. In the churning digital age, churning, uh, or the verb to churn, means to mix. It really means to mix, usually a liquid like uh, maybe butter. You can think of butter when, it's, when you make butter, you churn it. You, you mix it very quickly, and that's how you make the butter. You put in the milk, you put in all the ingredients, and then you churn them. You mix them in a big circle. That's to churn. And it also has this idea of lots of it, something that's changing and mixing very quickly. And we also see the word hyper, hyper speed. Hyper just means uh, very or a lot. So hyper speed means very fast. Okay, so hyper speed means very, very fast. All right, and then finally we see the word embrace, that we need to embrace interesting failures. To embrace, it has two meanings. The direct meaning, the, is to hug, right? Put your arms around somebody or, and hug them. That is embrace. But it also has a very general meaning, which means to accept something, to say, okay, this is okay. Uh, I like this. So we need to embrace interesting failures. When we fail, we need to embrace it. We need to accept it. And finally, the last phrase, to enjoy the ride. Those who thrive on chaos are those who learn to enjoy the ride. To enjoy the ride means to enjoy the process, to enjoy the whole experience, not just the end, not just the result, but the whole process. That's called enjoying the ride or to enjoy the ride. Okay, that's it for this vocabulary discussion. Please listen to the mini story next. Listen to this one a few times first, then listen to the mini story. Okay, bye. Hello, welcome to the mini story lesson for Thriving on Chaos. Let's get started. Here's the story. Nellie hated the city. The city was antithetical to her personality. In the city, Nellie was always tired and sad. She couldn't thrive in the city. The city was full of noise and churning traffic. Everybody was so hyper-stressed and busy. Nellie often got caught up in city life and became hyper-stressed too. Over time, she became very bitter. One day, she decided that the busy, tumultuous, hyper-stressful life was not for her. So, she moved to the country where she could focus on concrete things, seeing the trees, smelling the clean air, listening to the birds. In the country, Nellie forgot theoretical ideas and problems and became grounded in the reality of the earth 
and the sky. Now, Nellie is very happy she discarded her old city life. She is happy she discarded the so-called excitement of the city. Now, she is very peaceful. She has learned how to enjoy the ride. Okay, let's do it again, this time with questions. Uh, you can try to answer the questions in your head, or if you're alone, you can shout them out quickly. Okay, here we go. Nelly hated the city. The city was antithetical to her personality. Did the city fit her personality? No, no, the city did not fit her personality. Was the city good for her personality? No, the city was not good for her personality. Was the city similar to her personality? No, it was the opposite, right? It was antithetical to her personality. So was the city antithetical to her personality or good for her personality? The city was antithetical to her personality. Was the city antithetical to her body? No, no, it was not antithetical to her body. It was antithetical to her personality. Was it antithetical to her emotions? Well, yeah, kind of, kind of. Uh, it was kind of against her good emotions. It was antithetical to her good emotions, to her peaceful emotions. It went against her peaceful emotions. So the city was antithetical to her personality. In the city, Nellie was always tired and sad. She couldn't thrive. Could she live well? Well, no, she couldn't. She could not thrive. Could she grow and learn in the city? No, she could not. She couldn't thrive. Did Nellie have a very happy, enjoyable, wonderful life in the city? No, no, she couldn't thrive in the city. Uh, could she thrive in the country? Well, yes, we find out later that she could. In fact, she did thrive in the country. She was very happy and very successful in the country. She had a great life in the country. She could grow and do great things and feel really good and be healthy in the country. But she couldn't thrive in the city. She could not thrive in the city because the city was full of noise and churning traffic. Was the traffic calm in the city? No, no, it was churning traffic. It was always mixing and turning and going in circles and going everywhere. It was churning traffic. Was the churning traffic really quiet? No, the churning traffic in the city was noisy. People were always, eh, eh, right, hitting their horns. It was noisy and churning. So turning and mixing and going every direction and also very noisy. The traffic in the city was always churning, always churning. Also, everybody was so hyper-stressed and busy. Were they a little bit stressed? No, they were hyper-stressed. Were they very, very, very stressed? Yes, they were very, very, very stressed. They were hyper-stressed in the city. Were they hyper-peaceful? <laughs> no, they were not hyper-peaceful. They were not very peaceful. 
they were hyper-stressed, extremely stressed. Were they hyper-busy? Yeah, you could probably say they were hyper-busy, extremely busy, very, very busy. And unfortunately, Nellie often got caught up in city life, and she became hyper-stressed too. Did Nellie join into city life? Yes, she did. She got caught up in city life. Did she get caught up in peaceful activities? No, no, she didn't join peaceful activities. She didn't get involved with peaceful activities. She got caught up in city life. Did she get caught up in the stress? Yes, she got caught up in the stress. Did she get caught up in a busy schedule? Yes, she got caught up in the busy life, the busy schedule of the city. She got very caught up in city life, almost obsessed with it, right? Too focused on it, too involved. So she became hyper-stressed too, very stressed also. Over time, she also became very bitter. Did she become happy? No, very bitter. Was she angry for a long, long, long time? Was she stressed for a long, long time? Yes, that's right. She was stressed for a long time, so she was very bitter. Was she bitter about city life? Yes, yes she was. Was she bitter about her food? No, no, no. No, it's not bitter tasting. She was bitter about her life. Was she bitter about her relationships? No, 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 not about her relationships. She was bitter about the city. She was bitter about the stress and the busy schedule. That's why she was very bitter, very angry, very stressed. So one day, finally, she decided that the busy, tumultuous, hyper-stressful life was not for her. Was the tumultuous life for her, was it good for her? No, the tumultuous life was not good for her. Was a lot of change and chaos good for her? No, a lot of fast change and chaos was not good for her. The tumultuous life, the chaotic life, was not good for her. Was a tumultuous job good for her? No, a stressful and tumultuous job was not good for her. She didn't like to have things changing all the time. She wanted a calm life. She wanted a calm job. She wanted a job that was not tumultuous. The tumultuous life was not good for her. So what did she do? She moved to the country where she could focus on concrete things. Did she want to focus on ideas? No, she did not. She wanted to focus on concrete things. Did she want to focus on abstract things? No, no, the opposite. She wanted to focus on concrete things, things she could see, things she could smell, things she could hear and touch. What concrete things did she focus on? Well, she focused on seeing the trees, smelling the clean air, and listening to the birds. Are these concrete things? Yes, they are. They're concrete things. They're real-life things. So she focused on concrete things in the country. In the country, therefore, Nellie forgot theoretical ideas and problems. Did she forget concrete things? No. She forgot theoretical things. She forgot theoretical ideas. She forgot theoretical problems. She forgot abstract problems. What did she focus on? She focused on concrete things. Did she focus on theoretical problems? No. 
she forgot theoretical problems? Did she focus on other theoretical things? No, no, she was not concerned about ideas. She wanted to focus on concrete things. She wanted to become grounded in reality. Did she become grounded in reality? Yes, she became grounded in the reality of the earth and the sky. Was she connected to the earth in the country? Yes, yes, she was. She was connected to the earth and the sky. She was grounded in the reality of the earth and the sky. She was grounded to the earth and the sky. Was she grounded to uh, abstract ideas? No, no, not really. You can't really be grounded to abstract ideas. She was grounded to the earth. She was grounded to the sky. She was connected to them. She was connected to natural things. Was she grounded to natural things? Yes, she was. She was grounded to natural things. She was grounded to the earth. What about now? Well, now Nellie is very happy. Why? She's happy because she discarded her old city life. Did she discard her new country life? No, no, she didn't throw her country life away. She threw her city life away. She left the city. She quit the city. She got rid of her city life. She discarded her old city life. Did she discard the earth? No, no, she didn't throw the earth away. That's impossible. She didn't discard the earth. She discarded her old city life. Did she discard her stress? Yes, that's right. She did. She discarded her stress. She threw it away. Did she discard her sadness? Yes, she did. She discarded her sadness. She got rid of it. Did she discard her busy schedule? Yes, she did. She got rid of it. She discarded her busy schedule. She discarded the stress. She discarded the city life. She got rid of all of it. Now she's happy because she discarded all of that. In fact, she also discarded the so-called excitement of the city. When she moved to the country, did she believe the city was still exciting? No, no, it, it, she called it the so-called excitement. People say it's exciting. People believe the city is exciting, but actually it's not. It's so-called excitement. She doesn't really believe it's excitement anymore. Okay, why is she very peaceful now? Because now Nellie's very peaceful. What has she learned to do? Has she learned to focus on results, success? No, no, she's not focused on results. Now Nellie has learned to enjoy the ride. Does she enjoy the process of living now? Yes, she does. She enjoys the ride. She enjoys everyday living. Does she enjoy the process of everyday life? Every little thing, eating and taking care of herself and walking and looking at things. Yes, that's right. Now she has learned to enjoy the ride. She's not focused on results now. Now she's focused on the present time, what she is doing, the process. She is focused on enjoying the ride. Because she's learned to enjoy the ride, she's very peaceful. Okay, one last time for this story. This time I will say a few of the phrases using the key vocabulary, and I want you to repeat the phrases. Okay, try to copy my pronunciation. Exactly. 
Pretend you are an actor, not a student. Copy my tone, copy my stress, copy my pronunciation, everything. Okay, here we go. Nellie hated the city. The city was antithetical to her personality. The city was antithetical to her personality. In the city, she couldn't thrive. In the city, she couldn't thrive. The city was full of churning traffic. The city was full of churning traffic. Everybody was hyper-stressed. Everybody was hyper-stressed. Nellie got caught up in city life. Nellie got caught up in city life. Nellie got caught up in city life. Over time, she became very bitter. Over time, she became very bitter. The tumultuous life was not for her. The tumultuous life was not for her. In the country, she could focus on concrete things. In the country, she could focus on concrete things. She forgot theoretical problems. She forgot theoretical problems. She became grounded in the earth and the sky. She became grounded to the earth and the sky. Nellie is happy she discarded her old city life. Nellie is happy she discarded her old city life. She's happy she discarded the so-called excitement of the city. She's happy she discarded the so-called excitement of the city. She has learned how to enjoy the ride. She has learned how to enjoy the ride. Okay, that is all of the mini-story. Please less, listen to this lesson many times. When you replay the lesson, use your pause button. Listen to a sentence and then pause and repeat it. When you repeat, copy me exactly. Copy my emotion, copy my pronunciation, copy my pauses, copy my tone, everything. Imitate me exactly. Listen to this lesson many, many times, and then you're ready 
to read the text article and listen to the article. Okay, see you next time. Bye-bye. Thriving on Chaos It's easy to understand why many teachers revert to textbooks or worksheets when things around them are in constant, challenging motion. But they must learn to be in motion too. The students are being loud. They're having a hard time paying attention to each other. They're having a hard time paying attention to the teacher. We all know that telling students to turn to page 37 and answer the questions can relieve chaos and make the room quieter for a time. I've recently heard of a new trend of teachers using wireless microphones in an effort to keep students' attention and be heard above the other noise in the classroom. Education is not about who can speak the loudest. It's about the students and the teacher wanting to listen to each other. A truly personalized small school allows that to happen. Another reason I look to my friend Tom Peters for ideas on how to deal with the tough moments is because he entitled one of his books, Thriving on Chaos. Tom told me it took him a while to land on that word, thriving. But he was looking for a way of saying, you must be ready for and enjoy the process of change. Our schools must be thriving environments, thriving on the chaos and on the beauty. We all need to re-examine our situations from time to time and make sure we are not sticking to old patterns in new situations. Dennis Litke. I like the phrase thriving on chaos. As we all know, the world is constantly changing and it's changing quickly. Science, education, travel, technology, and human relationships are evolving rapidly. Sometimes it can feel overwhelming. In fact, many people do become overwhelmed by the pace of change. They may become depressed. They may dig in and become very conservative in an effort to stop or at least slow the change. Some people even become quite bitter about it. Others try to keep up, but can't. Without a doubt, human societies have changed. It's no longer possible to thrive by doing things the way they have always been done. We've always done it that way is no longer a reasonable explanation. In fact, it's an excuse that is a recipe for failure. So, how can we thrive on chaos? How can we not only survive these rapid changes, but learn to enjoy them? How do we use change to enhance our lives? It may seem antithetical, but one of the key ways to thrive on change is to have a set of unchanging principles. A principle is not a rule. Rules are inflexible. They are limiting. They slow us down and make it hard for us to adapt quickly when circumstances change. Principles, on the other hand, are highly adaptable. A principle is a general value, a commitment to something that is deep and meaningful. I must always shake hands when I meet a new person is a rule. If you meet a Japanese person, you may have this rule and you may become confused. I will always be kind and respectful is a principle. Principles are easily adaptable to new circumstances because principles are generally not concerned with specific actions or details. 
There are many ways to show respect, for example. In the past, schools, companies, and individuals often focused on rules. The problem is, students, employees, societies, and individuals have changed. The old rules don't work anymore. What we need to thrive in this tumultuous age are deep principles and the flexibility to change the way we follow them. Another vital skill for this age of chaos is reflection. Reflection means thinking deeply about something, usually yourself, your life, and your actions. Many people have been taught to first think, then act. But I think it's better to do the opposite. First act, then think. If you think first, it's easy to get lost in a theoretical world of abstract ideas. The education field is full of these kinds of people. They think, talk, write, and debate, but it's all theory, all in their head. These people actually have no idea what is happening in the world and what would happen if they tried something new. If you act first, however, you then have something concrete to think about. Your thinking is grounded in the real world. When you act first, it's harder to become caught up in speculation. Another tremendous advantage to acting first is that actions often have surprising consequences. When we think, we often believe we have thought of every possibility. But then, to our surprise, we discover that lots of unexpected things happen when we actually try something new. These surprises are the seeds of innovation and creativity. Unimaginative people often label the surprises as failures, simply because the results were not as expected. But, in the words of Tony Robbins, there are no failures. There are only results. In fact, so-called failures are often more valuable than what most consider success. Failure gives you new ideas and new input. Success often just reinforces your old ideas. And so, to thrive on chaos, we must act first and then think. We must also discard labels such as failure, and success, and instead think in terms of interesting results, possibilities, and opportunities. The time for rigid, rule-centered thinking was 100 years ago. In the churning, hyperspeed digital age, the only way to thrive is to stick to your principles, act without fear, and embrace interesting failures. Those who thrive on chaos are those who learn to enjoy the ride. Thriving on Chaos is a great book, by the way, the title, Thriving on Chaos. It's by Tom Peters. And Tom Peters is a uh, business guru, a business management guru. Guru means expert, so he's a business management expert. Um, I like him. I like his style. I like his basic approach to business and management. Uh, he's not quite so um, conservative like most of them are. So anyway, uh, if you're interested in business or management or leadership, anything like that, uh, try one of Tom Peters' books, uh, or you could check out his blog at the end of the learning guide on the Learn More section. I've got a link, uh, an address for his blog, tompeters.com, I think. Um, anyway, he's an interesting guy. Um, 
Dennis Litke is also an interesting guy, which the quote at the beginning of that article is from Dennis Litke. He wrote a, picture, uh, a book called The Big Picture. And Dennis Litke was a, um, he started as a middle school principal. He was a principal in a public middle school here in America. And uh, of course, he, the, he started the school he, when he took over, when he became the boss. Uh, the school was in bad shape. It was really bad. Um, and over time, over a couple years, he made it into a really great school, really, really good school. The students did very well. But he was still frustrated because uh, he felt that in the public school there were too many rules, too many problems. He couldn't do what he wanted to do. So he started his own school, and he got people to donate uh, to help build this school. Uh, the school is not just for rich people, even though it's private. They take a lot of people who don't have money. So they get money from the community, from businesses, things like that. It's a really interesting school. And in fact, I think now he has many schools. Uh, so check out that other link on the uh, learning guide about Dennis Litke. He's a very interesting guy. Um, but let's go back to the basic theme, which is thriving on chaos, succeeding when times are changing very fast. And I think right now in this period in history, this is a chaotic time. There's a lot of changes. Certainly we see in technology, new technology changing all the time, right? We, uh, you get a new computer, and three years later, your computer's old. The technology's old. And uh, you get an iPod, and three, four years later, the iPod's old. Um, Everything is changing very, very quickly. I must admit that I thrive on chaos. I like it. I like change. Uh, I do not thrive on uh, conservatism. I don't thrive in a situation that's not changing. So, you know, kind of a conservative culture or a conservative period in time is antithetical uh, to my personality. I don't like it. I like change. I always like to be learning something new, trying something new, uh, changing. It's, I don't know. Some people, of course, chaos is antithetical to them. They don't like it. Uh, a lot of people in my family, my family members, they don't like it so much, right? They like to do the same thing each day. They like stability. And a lot of people like that. But whether you like that or not, the truth is that our societies, our culture all over the world are changing very quickly right now. So even if you don't like it, it doesn't matter. You have to learn to thrive on chaos somehow. It doesn't matter if you're a teacher. It doesn't matter if you're a student. It doesn't matter if you are a business person. Even, even your family relationships. You know, our, our relationships are evolving very quickly. Uh, the old relationships of the past between men and women, they're just not the same anymore. And in many ways, I think that's a good thing. I think a lot of women think that's a good thing. I don't know about men, but a lot of men, women do think that's a good thing. Um, so anyway, everything's changing quickly, and we've got to learn to change with it. Um, I once uh, went whitewater rafting. I've been several times, actually. But I remember something uh, when I went the first time. There was a guide uh, for the raft. Whitewater rafting is when you go on a river that's very big river, right? Huge waves, and it's a little bit dangerous. And the guide told us in our little group, he said, that when you come to the rapids, when you come to the fast part of the river, where it's uh, very tumultuous, right? This part of the river is tumultuous, a lot of rocks. Uh, the river's changing quickly. It's easy to fall out of the boat 
It's easy for the boat to hit a rock and turn over and everybody falls out. So he said, the secret is when you come to the rapids, when you come to the tumultuous part, you have to row faster. You have to make the boat go faster than the river. If you are going faster than the river, you still have some control. You can control the boat. But if you do the opposite, if you try to go slower, if you try to slow down, if you fight against the river, then you're going to have a problem. Then you lose control and you're going to hit a rock and you're going to fall out or fall over. So I think that's a great metaphor, a great analogy for life in general. That when the time is changing a lot, when the environment's changing quickly, you need to go faster. You need to change faster than the environment. If you change faster, you actually will keep some control and you will be able to adapt quickly and thrive. On the other hand, if you try to resist the change, if you try to slow down, if you try to go against it, that's when you lose control. That's when you become overwhelmed. That's when uh, the environment will defeat you and you are going to be in a very bad situation. So I like that idea, that, that, that picture of when you hit a time in your life where there's a lot of change, you have to change even faster. That's how you survive. That's how you thrive. Uh, anyway, it's a good analogy. I like it. I try to use it in my life. When, when things start changing in my life, even if I don't like it, I realize I can't resist it. I can't fight against it. I have to actually change myself much faster. Um, anyway, think about it. Give it a try. That's AJ's wisdom for the day. <laughs> um, another thing I talk about in the article is the idea of acting first and then thinking. And I think this is a good idea. This is a Tom Peters idea. Um, he talks about it a lot, and I agree with it, that sometimes we get too caught up in thinking, right? We think and we think and we think. We have some problem and we want to think about it. And we think 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 too long. And if you think too much, you, you become paralyzed. You, you can't act, right? You just, you get stuck thinking. And it's easy to become depressed. It's easy to become worried. It's easy to become scared if you just think and think and do nothing else. But action uh, can kind of break the fear. If nothing else, if it has no other purpose, Taking an action, any action, can help you break the fear. You get over the fear. And then something happens. You act and something happens. Maybe something good happens. Maybe something bad happens. But at least something happens. And now you have something concrete to think about. Right? You have a result. You can look at this real-life concrete result and you can say, Wow, uh, that's not what I wanted. And what, what can I do differently? What can I try next? You have something concrete to work with. And it's basically an experimental approach. It's a scientific approach, right? You have a hypothesis, a, a, a quick idea, and you test it. And either it works or it doesn't. You think about it again, and then you test something else. And you just keep doing this, and eventually you come up with some really interesting ideas. And eventually you find things that work very well. Uh, so I like this idea of acting first, then thinking about it then acting again, then thinking about it again. I think it's a good process for innovation. I think it's a good process for creativity. I think it's a good process for learning and for science. In general, it's a good process. Uh, because it helps you, um, you know, get both sides. Obviously, we need both action and thinking. If you only act, 
which uh, some people do that also, then uh, you just keep doing the same thing again and again and again and again and again, and you get the same result, and that doesn't help much. So you definitely need to think. <laughs> um, but if you only think, you get stuck, you become depressed or you become worried or you become lost in abstract ideas, you become lost in theory. A lot of college professors are like this. You know, they only think. They have no, they're not grounded in reality at all. Unfortunately, most of my college professors were like this. So they could think a lot. They could certainly talk really well. They could argue very well, but they never did anything. <laughs> they never did anything useful. They never did anything at all. Um, and, you know, I guess that's okay if you're a college professor. But for most people living in the real world, uh, you need action also. So anyway, I like this idea of both, action and thinking. It's kind of like yin and yang, I guess. Um, finally, I like this idea of, uh, in general, uh, this process of enjoying the process of learning, enjoying the process of growing. It's good for language learning. It's good for any kind of learning. Um, and you learn to, to focus more on the process and not be so caught up in the result. Because, you know, results uh, are temporary. And if you get a bad result, you just discard it. You think about it, you discard it, and then you just try again. It's, it's that simple. It's not a big deal if you, quote, fail. You know, so-called failures are not really failures. Many times so-called failures can be uh, really great experiences that you can learn from them and they can cause you to succeed in a big way in the future. Uh, Steve Jobs, the president and founder of Apple, uh, talks a lot about this idea of failures are not failures. He had a lot of, quote, so-called failures in his life, but he's grateful for those failures. He doesn't consider them failures uh, because they helped him to learn. He never would have developed Apple Computer if he had not had those failures. Okay, so anyway, and he talks a lot about this process of testing and then reflecting, then thinking, then discarding the bad stuff, the stuff that didn't work, and then brainstorming new ideas, finding out what might work, and then testing the new idea. And then something happens, either failures, some successes, and then you reflect on it, you think about it, and then you test, you make a new idea, and then you test that. And it's just a never-ending process. And the trick is to enjoy that process. Just enjoy the process of testing things, trying things, thinking about them, and then thinking of new ideas, and then testing those. If you start enjoying that process, you'll be amazed. You will, it will lead to great success huge successes in your life, um, in all aspects of your life. And I think that's what one of the meanings of uh, enjoying the ride, not just focused on the result, but enjoying the ride itself. All right, well, that's it. That's my uh, commentary today on thriving on chaos. Again, I recommend if you want to learn more or you like this topic, uh, go to TomPeters.com, read some of his blog items. Uh, even better, get some of his books on Amazon. I think uh, he, he has some excellent books. Tom Peters has excellent books. And Dennis Litke also has uh, some excellent books, especially The Big Picture. I recommend that book especially. Okay, great.